Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Every Nation's Online Gathering. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, before we jump into the word today, uh, I want to let you know about something that's coming up and continuing throughout the summer. Uh, so it turns out that um, having courses and seminars and those kind of things online via Zoom uh, live isn't all that bad. In fact, it seems as though attendance has increased as a result of, of being able to, to, to attend things online. So uh, we were thinking uh, as a staff and, and having conversations with different folks in our church of um, what could serve our church well in this time, in a, way, in a time where we don't have you know, gatherings together. Um, you know, what kind of opportunities does this present uh, with this whole online format? And so we realized that one of the things we haven't done in a while is um, seminars that are about relationships in particular. And so this summer, what we want to do is have a four-week uh, a four-week series, and they'll happen um, on Monday nights, not every Monday night, but just throughout the summer, spaced out every two or three weeks uh, on Mondays, starting the week after Transformations uh, ends. Uh, we're just going to have some summer seminars on uh, different kinds of relationships, uh, be it uh, dating or marriage or parenting, uh, those kinds of things that actually probably are are in a are in a strange sort of phase for many of us. We find that the, the state of the world has has caused us to have to either you know be with our kids twenty four seven or uh, how do how do we you know how do we pursue relationships in a godly way right now? Everybody's stuck together. How our marriage is doing? And we thought that it would be a good time to delve into some good theology and teaching surrounding how to have healthy relationships and what is a good theology of relationships looks like. So there'll be four different sessions. There'll be an introduction and then sort of different themes every week. One on dating. One on marriage, one on parenting. Uh, not sure on the order just yet. Uh, but here's the thing about that though, is um, what I think is helpful is not to maybe to tune into just the one that pertains to you. Uh, it's almost as though, though the introduction is probably the most important of all the sessions because it gives the theology and the background behind uh, how to have healthy relationships biblically. Uh, and then each one of those uh, categories, I suppose, or, or cycles of life, <laughs> life stages, um, just highlight and deepen our understanding of the core theology. So if you're thinking that this is more like, oh, I'm not in a dating relationship, so it won't matter to me. Actually, I would encourage you to still participate and absorb that content and wrestle it through in small groups because um, it just deepens your understanding of, I think, what the point of scripture is. And that's for us to have healthy relationships with God and others uh, and, to, and to be reconciled to, to, to God and others. And so... Um, I think this is a good opportunity for us to really get into the meat of some things, and it feels timely uh, to have some relational tune-ups. Uh, so I invite you to those seminars, um, and there'll be more details coming out about that. We'll talk about it at the DG Leaders meeting tonight, uh, and it'll be in the emails moving forward. Okay, so uh, we are um, in our second last week of this uh, Letters from Paul series. Um, next week, we're, uh, next week uh, Sam Hurst is going to be taking us through uh Thessalonians, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I get to talk about Titus today. And so Titus is a great book that uh, it's almost like a leadership manual in a sense, because Paul is writing to, uh, Paul is writing to a guy named Titus, who is a disciple of Paul's, and he's sending him to a place called Crete. Uh, Crete is a very <laughs> uh, notorious place. Um, it's uh, notoriously a place of uh, hedonistic would be the right word. Uh, lots of lying, lots of debauchery, it, lots of port cities. Um, it's a bit. It's kind of like Party Central in a lot of ways. And Crete is famous for it. In fact, there's a there's a Greek word uh, 
for being a liar and it's I forget what the Greek word is exactly but it's pretty much saying someone's a Cretan so <laughs> it'd be like saying oh you Canadian and what I mean by that is you're a liar like that's how deeply that's how deeply um I don't know sinful or 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 immoral this culture has become but Paul sees an opportunity in this he says well Crete is a port city and uh and so many people come and go through there and so what what better place than to plant a network of house churches <laughs> it's very strategic and so um there are a set of house churches there and Paul has to send Titus to go correct some uh some infiltration of Cretan thinking into the church and that kind of philosophy of all is permissible and uh, you know it doesn't really matter the way that we live and uh, there's a lot of debauchery that's sneaking into the church and so Paul goes okay Titus here's what you got to go do you got to go to Crete and lead strongly and you got to correct some behaviors and we're going to do it in such a way that points to Jesus obviously but there's some real there's some real changes that need to be made and a, and a, and a, there's a deeper understanding of how Jesus changes our outward behavior that needs to be grasped by the church in Crete so uh, Titus is sent there, and he's given a bunch of um, he's given a bunch of instructions by Paul, and it's a very very strong letter, and it's almost as though it's it's speaking. Um, uh, it, it it has a strong behavioral orientation. So this is going to be interesting for us, right? Because we we tend to shy away from, um, uh, at least in our culture, um, talking about how to have more moral behaviors. We don't talk about that in church maybe as much as we should. But instead, usually the stance that we take, at least in our church, is like, let's pursue Jesus. Let's pursue the heart of him. And uh, and then out of that, uh, out of that, our behaviors change because we're motivated by love. And it's almost as though Paul is risking in this letter. He's like, we can go the other direction too. It's like, uh, also... You know, it does matter the way that you live, <laughs> and, it, and it's the way that you live is evidence of your relationship with God. So it's a tension-filled letter, but I think we have lots to learn from it. And so Paul is writing to Titus to send him into a culture that is very wicked and very rebe- rebellious, very godless, and into a church that is wicked, rebellious, and ironically quite godless, or at least doesn't have a good theology of what it means to live like a Christian. So, uh... Uh, what what would you do if you were sent into a culture that has no respect for authority, uh, that's very hedonistic? What would you do if that was your task? And I think that these leadership instructions could be just as easily written to uh, leaders to go lead here in Vancouver. <laughs> as I've read this book uh, over these last weeks, um, these could this could be a leadership instruction manual for you and I. Uh, on how to reach a godless hedonistic culture, and so it's not. Uh, I think it, I think it's very very applicable to us. Uh, maybe it's applicable to you as a leader. Maybe it's applicable to you as someone who um, is working through what it means to have your behaviors actually change as a result of following Jesus. Uh, so I think there'll be lots to learn from this today. So the question we want to ask today is what uh, what is the kind of leader that um, that that is required to ch- to change and redeem a godless culture. What are what is the what does leadership look like to um, to address that and to correct behavior and to correct wrongs? So uh, here's 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 the 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 statement we're going to be operating with today, and it's the theme of Titus, and it's that uh, what best what 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 is most loving 
to a hedonistic, godless, rebellious culture is the introduction of clear, loving authority. So that's what we're going to be operating. That's what we're going to be unpacking is that statement. And it really is the, uh, the theme of Titus. So this is in Titus 2.15. We'll come back to this later, but just a little excerpt uh, to, to, um, to center us. Uh, it says, these then are the things you should teach. We'll unpack what these things are just in a second. But it says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So this is kind of a, this is a central theme of Titus where Paul is going, you gotta, you gotta rebuke them. You, you gotta correct some wrongs, uh, and you gotta encourage them. But not just, uh, not just you know, um, like, but do it with authority, do it with confidence, do it with a, a confidence that this is good for them and good news. Like you're gonna have to be quite strong in this next season. So that kind of makes sense. That uh, you know, these this is this is this is the kind of leader that would be required in this culture. So. Uh, what we want to do then is over the next little while, over the next, uh, you know, throughout this message, I'm going to just make three observations of what that kind of leader looks like in this culture. Uh, what, 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 um, what are the things that Paul is saying you need to be like? Uh, what are the things that, what are the things in Titus that are being, um, uh, what, what is he encouraging Titus to do? And that, what are the instructions? And I think we can learn a lot from what those instructions would be for us if we were given the same assignment, which, by the way, I think we are. So, the first one is have personal integrity. Uh, Paul starts off the letter after his introductions by giving some detailed instructions on what an elder needs to look like. Uh, first step, Titus, first thing you got to do is find some godly people to build the church around, like integrous people who live rightly, like who live in a way that is visibly godly. And so here, I'll read this. This is uh, a Titus 1, uh, starting in, in verse 5. <clears throat> it says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So here we see uh, Paul asking Titus to establish elders who are uh, whose lifestyle uh, is godly and righteous, unapologetically so. And so the question we got to ask ourselves is, okay, um, uh, for ourselves personally, is if we're called to lead and make disciples uh, in our culture, uh, it has to start with personal integrity. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not an elder of a church, so it doesn't pertain to me. But uh, think about what an elder here is. It's the, it's the bedrock of Jesus communities. Uh, it's how they start. And it's, and it's a group of people caring about making disciples and leading others towards Jesus. Uh, elders in the more structural church sense, when we use that word, um, are obviously to the to levels of um, leadership and authority require, you know, levels of integrity. Like that is a, that's a, that's a correlated principle. Uh, but 
the, the base principle is that in order to be a disciple maker, in order to be a leader, in order to share Jesus, personal integrity uh, is required or your message is totally, dis- totally discredited. Uh, people look at, the, at your life and say, that's their first evidence. So I have some questions for you. Uh, in your life, when it comes to personal integrity, how is that going uh, in the world around you, in culture? Uh, do, you, um, do you at work, you know, drop the occasional F-bomb to make sure that people know that you're not a weirdo? You know, do you fit in? Uh, uh, is, it, is it visible? Is it obvious that, uh, that you have an integrity and a, and, a, and, a, and a morality that is quite stringent and, and noticeable? And this is what Paul is saying is step one to be able to be part of the redemption of culture. I, I, uh, I think of, the, of a story that um, from back, back in youth ministry, and I wound up having a conversation with one of the girls in our youth group. I think it was at a retreat. We were just sitting at, uh, we were sitting at one of the tables, and it ended up just being uh, her and I after a meal, I think. And I just asked her a question because uh, she was in a relationship that maybe I, you know, from an outside perspective, didn't seem that healthy because I knew that the guy maybe didn't follow Jesus. And so, uh, usually I leave these sorts of things up to the female small group leaders, but we just wound up in a conversation, and I just thought, hey, maybe I'll ask a question. And I said, well, how's it going with with so and so? She said, well, you know what, I'm really hoping that uh, now that I've been able to, you know, earn his trust and I'll be able to, you know, preach Jesus to him. And I really want him to become a Christian. I said, okay. Uh, And we had a good conversation and I kind of just, you know, took a bit of a risk. And I said, okay, can I just just share what uh, I would be thinking as a guy uh, if, if I was him in this situation? And I ask a question. I says, does he know that you're not probably supposed to be going out with him? Like, does he know that, you know, maybe your parents or your, your church or that religion you're part of is frowns upon what you're doing? Would he be aware of that? And she goes, yeah, I think probably he would know that I'm kind of cheating the rules a little bit. And I said, okay. Uh, here's what I'm thinking if I'm him. Uh, you breaking the rules... Uh, just told me, as the guy, that I am more powerful than your God. And I have the ability to be more important than the God you claim to worship and follow. And I'll tell you what, that's not a very compelling argument for me to want to follow him if I already beat him. (laughs) If I already are more important to you, a so-called follower. Now, I said it in more words than that, and hopefully kinder than that, but the principle, I think, was absorbed, that um, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a step one to being able to, to preach Jesus, and it is the way that you live. It is your behaviors, and it is your convictions, and it is your convictions played out in real life. And so, uh, if this seems harsh, uh, remember the point of the series. The point of the series as we're unpacking Paul, is this concept of God using people and occasions and stories to preach the gospel. And they're the best vessels of it. They, uh, human relationships and events and reactions and love and tensions are the, best, are the best environment to understand the fullness of what it means to have a God that loves you and 
Uh, it's the best vessel. And so why do we think that having a life that is indicative and obviously outwardly representative of a redeemed, changed, holy life and existence, why would we think that we could skip that in order to have the gospel transfer from heart to heart to heart? Uh, your heart became an essential link in that chain. And it's, uh, it matters and it's important. So personal integrity is a really, really big deal. And Paul is not afraid to say, go find some of those people. They're going to be the anchor and they're going to be the best vessels for showing uh, how saved and redeemed my people, like God's people really are. So that's the first thing is have personal integrity. The second thing, the second leadership instruction is rebuke strongly. <laughs> it's getting better, right? Here we go. So uh, I'll read, I'll read uh, some, some verses here. Um, Paul, at, at, here in verse 12 of, of chapter 2, uh, quotes a, uh, a Cretan poet. And he quotes a poet. Uh, he, he, he quotes a Cretan poet who's criticizing Crete, <laughs> where he's from. It's kind of clever. So this is Paul speaking. One of Crete's own prophets has said, has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. <laughs> so Paul is affirming this Cretan, Cretan philosopher. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human, or to the merely human commands of those who reject him. Uh, those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. So, uh, Paul's very strong here saying, okay, uh, we need to rebuke sharply and here's why. Uh, I want to draw your attention to, these, to, to, to verse 14. If we rebuke sharply, um, uh, the hope is that the people who we're rebuking will pay no attention to Jewish myths or merely human commands. Okay, what does that mean? Basically, this is the false gospel that people run to. Uh, and the equivalent in our culture, Jewish myths would be uh, religion. And there were, there were uh, Pharisaical people, uh, Jewish people who were trying to hold Cretans accountable to the letter of the law. They were trying to have new Christians be circumcised, just like it was way back in the Old Testament, even though Paul said that's not important anymore. And they were trying to get them to obey the Torah, all the Levitical laws. Um, there were those religious people trying to make it about law. Unfortunately, even those people were trying to do it to make money. So it wasn't even with a good motive, which it usually isn't. Uh, and then there's these merely human commands. And so when I think about that, I just think about self-help. Like when we, when we have a, more, uh, uh, a, a, a culture that is failing morally, which I don't think people would disagree with at large. If you really talk to people, uh, the hedonism of our culture does affect relationships. And people have scars and baggage from that. And everybody kind of has a past they regret or so it seems. Uh, and what it... What the, what the false gospel would be in our culture is human commands, which I just think is self-help. Get better. Gain more knowledge. Try harder. Read this book. Uh, be your best self. <laughs> and instead, uh, what Paul is saying here is the goal is to have a pure heart. Not to try harder and not to become more inwardly focused and selfish just in a... Uh, a less bumpy kind of way. It's like, no, no, no. We need to address the selfishness of our hearts. We need to have pure hearts. 
And here's what's interesting. It says here, you know, to the pure, all things are pure. Meaning if you rebuke those who have a good heart, it's going to come across as good because their hearts are good. And purity, the, 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 the uh, purity comes from refinement. Like if you were to purify gold, you have to refine it and it has to be melted down and it has to be you know, rebuked sharply. Like it's a hot, messy process. Uh, uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Not, not comfortable. It's hot. And it boils things to the surface and impurities rise up and are scraped off the top. And I don't think nobody really enjoys that process. But to the pure, all things are pure. And they're able to hear something and they're refined like gold. And so what Paul is encouraging Titus to do is go, uh, go rebuke sharply so that people don't fall into a false gospel, but that their hearts are refined and then their selfishness is confronted. And they're able to hear the good news of the gospel. So, uh, you know, I love this. When I was growing up uh, as a teenager, there used to be this men's house uh, that uh, someone from our church uh, bought a house and then uh, filled it up with a bunch of the young adult guys. And at the time, I was like 14, 15, maybe, yeah, 13, sort of 16. I was in high school. And I used to go over there all the time. And there were all these guys that I really looked up to. There was like 13 of them sometime in, sometimes in this house. And uh, man, <laughs> there's so many stories that I wasn't really a part of because I was just kind of a teenage observer. But so many stories of iron sharpening iron in that house just abrasive grinding. Some people hated it and some people became the men they are today because of that time. One of our elders, Nate Lim, who I just interviewed in our, uh, you know, family conversation on Thursday night. Um, what I, if I asked him, I guarantee you he could tell you a ton of stories about how his ability to be an elder today and have an integrous life has a lot to do with him rubbing shoulders with those guys in those years. You should ask him if you, if you know who he is. Uh, and they had this poster above, uh, it was like a painting I forget who made it. It might have been Avital Ailson um, or Klein now. I think she made it. Anyways, uh, the, the, there, was a, there was this poster that was made in, I think it was an art class. I don't know, but it said, so, uh, you know, so, as, um, so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I remember looking up at that and seeing all the craziness that went on in the house and all the life and all the tension. And I remember just thinking, man, this is good. And I wonder where that poster is. I've always wanted to know where that is. Prakash, if you're watching this, I think you have it. I want to see that thing again. It just means a lot to me that we have uh, that we have these that we have these um, environments where people are rebuked sharply, and there's a purity that comes out when uh, when ungodliness and selfishness is challenged by people who have integrity. So this leads us to our third and probably most most important point is uh, we need to have confidence that the gospel actually causes outward change. Now think about that. Um, is that something that you have confidence in? Are you confident that a, uh, a understanding of the gospel, uh, someone who trusts Jesus, someone who's been born again, someone who has the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives, uh, that by definition, that truth equals a behavioral and perceived change in the way that somebody lives. Do you have confidence in that? Because I don't know about you, but when I hear that, all the alarm bells go off in my head of works righteousness, right? Like, oh, so you're saying that if we don't do good things, we aren't saved? <laughs> like, that's the immediate uh, rebuttal I have to that in my own mind, too. We're so paranoid of having our salvation be, um, 
be in any way incumbent upon the good works that we should go do and the right living that we should now go do because we're all very afraid and rightly so of being Pharisees and people who just want to obey the law and miss the whole point of love and miss the whole fact that Jesus started everything and that he, we love because he first loved us. Like those are very important truths that we can't let go of. And yet in Titus, uh, Paul is uh, so confident in this idea that's like, no, no, you can tell everybody that if they're Christians, that this is the way they need to live and you should. And in fact, it's no, it's evidence. It's it's the evidence. Like, don't don't skip that. Don't say you can just be a Christian and then it kind of doesn't matter. And then there's like this part two. It's like, no, they're totally connected. Don't separate them. Don't fall into the ditch of having it be about that. We're going to get there in a second. Like, don't have, don't fall into the ditch of having your good works earn your salvation. But for sure, don't fall into the other ditch of thinking that your behaviors don't matter at all. They're really important. So, as, as like Titus has to walk into this situation very confident that he can say, I'm going to preach Jesus to you, uh, and I don't have to be careful about that meaning you stop doing all this terrible, all these terrible things that affect your integrity and your ability to rebuke the culture around you and your ability to be the church, your ability to redeem it, your ability to be the source of Jesus being known on this island of Crete. Like, I'm going to be confident about this fact. So, uh... What I want to do is 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 just kind of go through together a couple of verses, and we'll look at them sort of in depth, because this is really important to understand. And the first one is Titus two eleven to fifteen, and uh, I'll just kind of mark mark this up here so we can really really get into the meat of it. Um, and so Titus two eleven to fifteen says this: For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And this verse twelve is really important. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, this is funny, because it says, it teaches us. So, what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions? It. What is it? Well, it's the grace of God that appeared. So, what's the grace of God that appeared? Well, that's Jesus. (laughs) Jesus teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So uh, let's keep going. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Man, there's so much in there, hey? So uh, this this is what I love is uh, Jesus gave himself to redeem us. And what this redemption does is it purifies us from all wickedness, right? Purifies us from all the wickedness. Uh, And what that allows is it creates a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, these these two sentences are what I want to focus on. The people that are his very own are eager to do what is good. This... And this are not separate. A purified people that are his very own are are eager to do what is good. It's not like, gee, I hope they become eager to do what is good. It's like, no, his people are eager to live uh, godly lives and to deny worldly passions. It's by definition. This is what it means to be a people who are his very own. You are eager to do what is good. Uh, this is, this is, and, and then, you know, Paul keeps going and he says, um, these then are the things you should teach. Teach that. Teach the fact that loving Jesus 
equals an eagerness to live a life that is godly, outwardly so. Behaviors, the decisions you make, teach that. And not only teach it, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Like be so confident in that fact. Don't, don't kind of tiptoe around it. Don't deny people the, 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 <laughs> the depth of the gospel that changes you, that transforms you. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. This is a true thing. And I love this. Don't let anyone despise you. <laughs> like be confident. And then if people despise you because you're preaching that truth, don't, don't let them. Don't let them. You have, you have all authority to say this. So I find this encouraging because uh, I sometimes have a different definition. And uh, I have a different definition. I, I have to feel like I, I have to figure out how to not preach the works righteousness thing. And then I have to figure out how to still have people go, oh, but you probably should do this and that. And I think that's probably wrong. You should probably live a different way than that. But, but I really want you to know Jesus. So I'm going to leave that alone for a little while because I don't want you to think that I think you, I just want to make you all squeaky clean. Uh, so I'm just going to talk about Jesus. And I'm, I'm the authority on how this all works together. And it becomes up to me to explain it perfectly. And I, I, I get a lot of confidence from this. And Paul's telling Titus, and I, could, I feel like he's telling me, you know, right now by extension, um, your authority doesn't come from your ability to figure that out. It's just true. Your authority comes from me, Jesus speaking. Like, I'm saying this. My word is saying this. Uh, and you can, you can rebuke and encourage with all authority. My gospel and my, the Holy Spirit that I'm giving people does change people. It does. <laughs> Don't, you don't have to figure that out. I'm not saying it's not going to be bumpy. I'm not saying people aren't going to despise you. I'm not saying people aren't going to hear you. But don't have the debate in your mind as to whether that's good and loving or not. That's not up for you to decide. That I did that. I, I purified a people from myself. And so don't you dare change the definition of what it means to be a pure people. I'm saying, Jesus, I, I'm saying that... Uh, a people that are my very own are eager to do what is good. That's not up for you to decide. So that, that, I just think about that and I'm like, wow, great. A, that's great. That, I can just trust that. B, <laughs> it, it freaks me out a little bit because I'm like, wow, like if that's just true, then what are the behaviors in my life that aren't God honoring? What does that say about my relationship with him? And it scares me in a really good way. Like it puts the fear of the Lord in me. To go, do I, am I okay with just certain kinds of sin? Do I let things slide? What does that say? Am I, am I a person who's his very own? Is my deepest affection for him? Really helpful mirrors our behaviors are, aren't they? Whew, okay, let's keep going. Um, I want to do one more verse in kind of the same format and just work it through really, really slowly together. It's a little bit longer. This is Titus 3, 3 to 8. Uh, okay. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. So this is important because it says at one time, uh, meaning Paul is saying, okay, uh, you're not better than anybody, Titus, you know, anyone who's reading this letter. Um, you were too foolish once. Like there is a, um, uh, don't forget that you were changed. Don't forget that you have a past. Uh, it's your, this is your testimony. 
Your testimony is massively important. Like your authority, uh, it says, you know, that our authority comes from like the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? And so uh, the blood of the lamb is kind of the verse that we just revealed. Like Jesus gets to define how, how powerful his blood is in people's lives. The second part is like, remember at one time you too were foolish and disobedient and then slaved to all kinds of these worldly passions. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of uh, uh, when but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, uh, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Okay, so this is really important. Uh, he saved us. So Paul is aware of these red flags that I was mentioning earlier. He's like, okay, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that uh, that that. Um, uh, your salvation is true because you don't succumb to worldly pleasures. Uh, he saved us not because of the righteous things, uh, not because of the righteous things we had done, right? Right where it says, uh, not because of the righteous things we had done. So he's very clearly saying this isn't where your salvation comes from, but because of his mercy. So he's very clear. Let's keep going. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay, so these are really, really important terms. Rebirth and renewal. Uh, this is the kind of change that Jesus is saying uh, occurs when, uh, when, when the kindness and love, like when we're saved. If the words he's using here are rebirth and renewal, changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So who changes us? It's the Holy Spirit. Whom he, poured on us, he, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that, having, so, so that's a really important, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Okay, so we are reborn and we're renewed so that uh, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we are changed into heirs who live forever with Jesus. That's a big transformation. So this is, this is the part that I, that I want to highlight here is, this is a trustworthy saying. Titus, you can trust that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, rebirths and renews. <laughs> like this is trustworthy. Trust that. Trust that the Holy Spirit actually changes us. And I want you to stress these things. I want you to stress them. Stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God, those who have trusted in God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Who? Who are, who is it? It's those who have trusted in God. It's you and me may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These, are ex uh, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So uh, this is what Paul is desperately trying to get across, is you can trust that the Holy Spirit renews people and, uh, and that those who have trusted in God, right? They're right here, those who have trusted in God, uh, because the Holy Spirit has renewed them, they should be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Like, uh, I love this term, be careful. And what, what, what this careful word means is um, uh, have an awareness 
of how transformed you are. Like dwell on that. Be careful, be careful to know that the Holy Spirit is so powerful and present and, and, and able to, to change you. Be careful to connect that to your worldly behavior. Like be careful to believe in the full power of the Holy Spirit. Be careful to do that and devote yourself to what is good because you're being really intentional and careful about the power and beauty and majesty and transforming nature of what the gospel is able to do in a heart. Be careful to do that. So church, here's what I want us to be careful to do. I want us to be careful to appreciate how powerful our gospel is and that it knows no bounds in its reconciliatory power. I don't know if that's a word. In its ability to reconcile us to the world around us and to God itself. It's so powerful and it's trustworthy. And so as we're living our lives and as we're, we're, we're trying to make disciples and be elders, so to speak, the kinds of people that God can build his church on, uh, this, is, this is what we get to have confidence in. Is that, uh, well, just to sum us up, um, uh, we, get to, we get to be confident that having integrity really matters. And it's not about you just coming across as a religious person. It's like, no, no, I deeply care about the world around me, that I need to have integrity so that the gospel is able to flow through me and people don't get hung up by it. People don't get hung up by my life. I want it to be a, I want it to be a, I want it to be a testimony to the world around me. I want to have the kind of confidence that can rebuke people strongly because of how confident I am that the Holy Spirit actually changes folks and that, and that things get better and more whole and he makes things new. And so uh, <clears throat> I was reading, um, uh, I was just reading an article the other day by a guy named Nicky Gumbel, maybe you've heard that name before, he's a pastor in, in London and... Uh, and uh, he, was, he, he was the pioneer of the Alpha stuff. Maybe you've heard of the Alpha series before. It's a film series that uh, just sort of explains the heart of the Christian message. And just a really great theologian, deeply practical, has a huge impact on the world just because of the, the honesty and simplicity with which he teaches the Bible. I think it's a, he has a real grace on his life. And uh, just saw an interview with him the other day. And he said that since these online services have started, the most powerful part of our services have been when I or someone else has just prayed the most ancient of prayers. And it's that, it's just come Holy Spirit. It's just an ancient, you know, New Testament prayer of just going, come Holy Spirit. Like, show us how powerful you are. Show us what you're capable of doing. And so here's my prayer for us, church, is just that, come Holy Spirit. And what I don't want you to hear today is that there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do now. The point of us walking through those verses is to understand uh, how capable and powerful the presence of God is in each, in each of our lives. And I think as we pursue the depth of that, it's uh, like, what a worthwhile pursuit. And so this is what I'd like us to do is just pray, like, come Holy Spirit, show us. Show us how powerful you are and give us the confidence that you are alive and active and that you change that you change things. You make things good. You make things whole. And through me, no less. <laughs> and you want to use me <laughs> so that I can experience you even deeper. It's a beautiful plan. So I'm just going to pray that. And I, I don't know where you find yourself uh, in this time, uh, whether you find yourself as maybe a Cretan 
who has sin that, they, that maybe is bubbling up in your heart and God wants to bring to the surface. And when I pray, come Holy Spirit, I, I would, uh, um, my prayer is that you would grab hold of the power of the gospel in that place. And that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart and say, I'm better than what you're settling for. And I can change you if you love me and trust me. Uh, and perhaps you're someone who feels called. I mean, we're all sinners, so I think we can all relate to that. And perhaps there's a, some of you that are relating to Titus in this, in this time of going, I have some rebuking and all authority to do. Because there's some sin in the, sin in the lives of the people around me that I feel as though God's asking me to be, to highlight. And, uh, and I would encourage you to have confidence, to have confidence that you're doing the loving thing. If you're pointing people to Jesus, and if you're, and if you're leading them to the transformative uh, power of the Holy Spirit and inviting people to have a new Lord instead of themselves, this is a trustworthy saying, and you are doing what is good, and do it with all authority. Jesus already decided what salvation looks like. You don't have to. So let's walk in that. And I want to pray for you that the, as, we, as we say, come Holy Spirit, that he would give you the confidence and the fullness of who he is. So Father, we just wait this morning and we say, come Holy Spirit. Show us the fullness of who you are. Lead us by the hand. Thank you that our confidence is in you, not in our ability to execute propositional truths. You lead us by the hand. So, Father, would you just fill us with your grace and peace right now? And would you call us into something? Would you call us out of our sin and give us a testimony? Would you call us into a life that makes disciples, that is so confident in all that you are, that the world around us just gets better and closer to you and closer and closer to the source of love and truth and peace and purpose, which is you, Father, help us to only lead people towards you, not just clean living for the sake of it. But would, 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 would godly living be a direct correlation of a passion for you and of a life that's been transformed by you? God, we want testimonies that are powerful, so come Holy Spirit. Would you change our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, 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 o